0: This is a test. For the next 60 seconds, this station will conduct a test of the emergency broadcast system. This is only a test. The following program is intended for
1: mature audiences. You can't be serious, man. You cannot be serious! That ball was on the line! Shock blew up! Welcome to This Week in Tennis. Welcome to This Week in Tennis. That was Kansas. Play the game tonight. My name is Phil Nasons, and I'm the host of this weekly radio show. We've been on and off for a few weeks because, well, there wasn't much to talk about. And when I say we, please welcome from CraigDoylePhotography.com. Craig Doyle's in the house. Craig, what's up? How are you? Happy New Year. Welcome back to the show.
0: Yeah, happy New Year to you, and I hope that you and everyone else out there had a great festive period. I'm very well, and I am looking forward to
1: resuming things on the show this year in 2015. I'm looking forward to it too, man. I tell you what, I I had a very quiet New Year's for a change. I was asleep by 8:30. I don't get into it anymore. Really, I'm tired. I didn't feel like doing it. I didn't feel like going anywhere. I really wanted to just talk about nothing. I didn't want to talk to anyone. I do this, you know, 24 hours a day almost now. (laughs) So I I didn't want to listen to anybody say, yeah, your show sucks. You know, that's the thing about being in Greece. I'm talking about my daily show out there, folks. You know what, Craig? The thing about being in Greece is hardly anyone listened to my daily show. And uh, I never ran into those people. I mean, anyone from there. So, but here- (laughs) my <laughs> I get a lot of people who listen ah come on man why you pick on LeBron like that man <laughs> different world man it's a different world yeah it's all good though no, it's all good you know what's a different world for me celebrity coaches to me that's a different world there's been a, there are a lot of coaches uh there's been coaching changes here I'm gonna run down the small list of Without celebrities, by the way. These are just guys who've changed their coaches. Simona Halep fired her coach, Wynne Fissett, because, in his words, he wasn't exciting enough for her. (laughs) And then Eugenie Bouchard and Nick Saviano decided to part ways, which means, as Peter Boda says at his blog on ESPN, they fired each other. (laughs) And then Tomas Burdich has changed his coach, too, and he has brought in a young fella to help him out. He used to be – in fact, he used to be Andy Murray's coach. Cheapers, um, creepers, I can't remember his name now. It's the only one I didn't write down. But anyway, those are some little changes. It's kind of weird though. Think about this, Craig. You, you were nobody a year ago. All of a sudden you make it to the top ten, make it to a couple of Grand Slam finals. <laughs> And, and all of a sudden, your coach isn't good enough. How is that possible? How, how, what goes through these people's minds? Now, I've, been in this, I've been in the tennis industry for 30 years, and I've never been able to figure out why they do that.
0: I guess, and it's completely a guess, is that they get to the final, they don't win the final, and then suddenly they panic and think, okay, such and such a person has been great for this ride to the top 10, to these finals. I need someone different to get me over the line, to get me the, the Grand Slam final victories. Um, there's no patience. There's no persistence with the, the current coach, no waiting to see if the uh, the current coach can come up with the answers to why these people didn't win the Grand Slam finals. It's almost as if there's an urgency to switch things up in the hope that they could just take that next step, I think.
1: Yeah, maybe, but it seems weird. You know, it really seems weird. You don't see coaches in, in team sports get fired for having a successful season, but in tennis, it's either all or nothing, and it's very it's very strange. It's very cannibalistic it, it, with these young people. Who's now? Who knows Simona Halep better than Wim Fisset? Nobody, nobody. You know, the other thing, Craig. Listen to this one: uh, coaching these kids. Most of the time, when you have a kid of that. Stature that level, they usually don't have a lot of money either, and a lot of these coaches work for a lot cheaper, and they sacrifice more than in some cases the parents even. And as soon as these kids get halfway decent, they disappear. You know what I'd love to see is a kid stay with his coach the whole way, and we've only have one example of that this year. Well, we have in the past maybe, but. Rafael Nadal stayed with his coach for the whole time. I mean, why, can't that ha- why, it, why shouldn't that happen more often?
0: Well, there's absolutely no reason it shouldn't happen more often. But I guess, you know, in tennis, it's very similar to a lot of other sports. Um, I'm, I'm thinking from the UK perspective, like soccer, in that um, your lifespan and longevity of being a coach or manager or whatever you want to call it, is very slim you know everyone seems to think that they deserve success these days the easy and you may have said it yourself the the cheapest option is often to change the coach um for some of these these kids on the tour you know (laughs) by the time you've gone through 10 different coaches it might not seem like such a cheap option but uh Everything in this world is very short-term these days. It's There's no long-term strategy, no long-term goal. Um, everyone wants things instantly. And I think that's why we see so many coaches in and out of relationships with players, swapping who they're coaching, appearing on the tennis scene, disappearing from the tour, reappearing again a year later. Um, it's... It's a very short-term world, and nobody out there really is planning for the long term. They want quick
1: success or no success. That's that's exactly right. It's a microwave society. You know, why wait for the popcorn for ten minutes when you can get it in a minute and a half microwaved? But it doesn't taste the same. And and coaching is the same way. You know, you you're with these kids forever almost, and you're around them. You know them better than in a lot of cases their parents do, and then they hook you as soon as they uh get a few bucks in their pocket. They think that what you did for them wasn't good enough. That's the that's bummer sometimes. It is what it is, though. It's part of the deal. It, it's not the best part of the deal. And unfortunately, it happens far too often. Now, I'll, here's some celebrity coaches. This is a big fad now, as you know, Craig. Let's start running down the list. If you want to talk about a guy who's had a lot of coaches. Andy Murray's with Emily Moresmo, at least this week. Um, Novak Djokovic is with Boris Becker. Roger Fetters with Stefan Edberg. Aggie Rodwanska just hired Martina Navratilova. We'll talk more about that in a minute. James Blake is with James or Jack Sock. Justin Gimelstob is with John Isner. <laughs> what is this? <laughs> Lindsey Davenport is with Madison Keys. I can go on and on. I'm going to do one more though. And Marin Cilic is with Goran Ivanisevic. <laughs> Now I've been around the business for thirty years, more than that actually. But a, a, as someone who's made a living from the game, thirty years. What do you what? How do we put this? What do you think Boris Becker actually brings Novak Djokovic?
0: To be honest, I it's one I think I've questioned on the show before as to uh, you know Boris has X number of Grand Slams. Is it six? Djokovic must have somewhere in the same region uh, a Grand Slams maybe seven, eight, something like that what exactly does he bring to, to Djokovic's game? I'm not entirely sure I, I think he was hired during a period where Djokovic was having issues winning Grand Slams, he would reach a final and he just didn't seem to have what it needed to get over the line, he had a sort of dip in form for uh, 18 months or so, one that we are uh, quite rightly highlighted on this show so so whether You know, Becker's brought something uh, mentally to his game. I I don't know, but I I can guarantee you one thing. Mr. Becker will be receiving a rather large paycheck for what he has brought to Djokovic's game or what Djokovic believes he's brought. Um, Perhaps in the case of the, you know, a a guy like, uh, you mentioned Martin Cilic. Well, you know, Ivan Isovic, maybe he's tightened up the serve. Maybe he's, you know, introduced something to his ball toss, something there that, helped him win the U.S. Open. Uh, he, he certainly looked like a different player in New York this year than he has done before. And, you know, my, my guess is that a lot of these players are looking for that little bit something from these uh, celebrity coaches that have had success themselves that they can add to their own game, something they believe can, you know, take them up a level, win that Grand Slam for them. Uh, however, in the case of most, and uh, you know it yourself, there's only going to be four Grand Slam winners in the year. Uh, not, not everyone's going to win a Grand Slam, whether you've got a celebrity coach or not.
1: Maybe Goran brought his priest along with him for the ride. You remember when Goran brought a priest with him to the matches and travel with him? Maybe that's what he did. You know, I don't know what Goran brought. Goran was pretty impatient as a player. He seems pretty patient as a coach. So maybe that's what he did. Maybe he just gave him some stability. You never know. Um, but... He still won a Grand Slam, and he got a healthy piece of change for it too, and he's the coach. I guess he gets to do that. But now what is – like an Andy Murray, and I know you, we've questioned this too, but what does Amelie Moresmo actually bring Andy Murray to – what does she bring for him? Because he started to play a little more stable at the end of last season. What is it that he's looking for from her exactly, you think?
0: Well, again, it was one I found difficult to understand to begin with, but uh – Maybe he's just looking for someone he could unload his problems on. You know, when he misses that backhand, he can turn around and blame someone who's not going to stand up and shout back at him or, uh, you know, he, just a common influence, I guess. Someone who uh, maybe can analyze the game a little bit, have a look at what he's doing on the court. Uh, someone that he, he feels he can listen to, that he, he respects. Um, I don't think he's, he's got someone in there who uh, tactically uh, is totally tactically astute uh, playing a game that, you know, suits his style of play. I, I don't think he's brought someone in there to, to teach him technique. So my only assumption is it's, it's someone that he looks up to, that he respects, and that he could uh, bounce ideas off that uh, isn't going to be afraid to to question him.
1: You know, that might be it. It's hard to say because it is a fad. It really is a fad. Uh, Maybe that's it. Maybe he just wants to shout at his box and he doesn't want anybody to challenge him when he gets off the court. And Emily's not going to be able to come in the locker room anyway. So he doesn't have to worry about all that. He does that with Yvonne Lendl. Yvonne Lendl will go in there and kick his ass. (laughs) I mean, that's just the way it is. Now, what about Federer and Edberg? What is it that Edberg brings to Federer? is probably the greatest tennis player of all time. More than likely, I would say, he is. What does he bring to his game, you think? What is it that he's looking for that he couldn't get from, say, a traditional, quote-unquote, tour coach?
0: Yeah, that's something really interesting because Federer, he's not had a lot of coaches. He did have Paul Anacombe before. uh, obviously, this the the Edberg relationship. I think it's more like a consultancy thing than a a coaching arrangement. It's uh, you know Edberg's maybe sitting there. He's looking at the tapes. He's watching live, and he's he's seeing you know is Roger struggling today at the net? Is he struggling uh, on the backhand side? Is there something he can tighten up? Uh, you know, it, it, is he struggling to hit the ball down the line? Is he you know? Where a guy is giving them difficult is, I think it's some sort of consultancy arrangement like that. He perhaps has. I don't think it's a guy who's coming in and saying, "Well, you know, you're not playing this shot properly. You're not, you know, your techniques off there." I, I think it's a guy who he can just uh, stand there, uh, another guy who obviously you know he respects. He, he can bounce a few ideas off him, um, tweak a little, a little bit of his game. Um, And I think that's what he needed last year when he lost his confidence a little bit. Uh, Sorry, not last year, 2013 when he lost his confidence a little during the summer. He just needed someone to come in, someone to uh, pass a few ideas off, uh, make a few tweaks to his game and and, and find his way back to the top. And I I think it's, you know, someone like that maybe gives him a little bit more edge than he had towards the end of 2013 when he, he seemed to be fading from the top of the Tour.
1: You know, those are all good points. You know, for me, I think this is the one that makes a lot of sense because Edward is a former world number one. His best place was at Wimbledon, kind of like the same thing with Roger. As somebody that he can he can actually stand shoulder to shoulder with, he can hit a little bit with. I also noticed that Federer was going to the net a little bit more often than he had in the, that year that he was struggling. And maybe it's just one of those peer to peer things. I, I'm not so sure it's a consultation exactly. But I think that's probably a good way to put it. I, I think he's on the court a lot. He's, he's certainly not booking any practice courts or taking any rackets to be strung. I don't think that's the case. But maybe he's just looking for a peer and somebody to hang out with in the twilight of his career. And they're both the same kind of what people personality-wise. They're very quiet off the court. You never hear a peep out of them unless the camera's in their face or whatever. You don't hear about their scandals or any of that other foolishness. You just They're just quiet respected men, gentlemen of the game. So maybe that makes sense. Now, here's a good one. Now, what does James Blake actually bring to a Jack Sock? Now, this well, is technically one of those consultations, Craig. What do you think he brings? What could he bring Jack Sock besides his rackets for practice?
0: Well, in the first case, um, experience. I mean, Jack Sock's a different end of the scale to any of the people we've spoken about so far. He's a, uh, he's a player on the up. Let's put it that way. He's uh, a young man who's, you know, he's looking to, to break in. Uh, he's, he's got himself up in around the, the top 100. He's, um, he's in there. He's going to be in the grand slams. Um, I think, I think he's actually inside the top 50 at the minute. He's 42, 43, something like that. So, so the next step for Jack Zuck, you know, we're talking about a man who's 22, 23 years old. The next few years, he wants to make a push, whether he wants to be top 10, top 20. We don't know. Um, we, we don't know the limits of his abilities, but he, he's obviously gone out there. He's decided, I need someone with a little bit of experience, someone who's been up there in the top 10, done it at the, the, the Grand Slam level, put in some good performances, and uh, I, I need to Get inside this guy's head, see if he can translate what's in his head, bring it to my game, and uh, put in some vast improvements on the Grand Slam stage. Because we know Jack's not been particularly great in the Grand Slam stage. You know he's not putting in quarterfinals and semifinals on a regular basis, etc. But that's where he wants to be. So perhaps that's exactly what he's looking for in his coach. He wants someone who's you know been there a bit done a bit more than he has, has the experience, I'm going to help him get to that next stage of his career. Whether it happens or not, you know, it's going to be an interesting next few years for Jack Sock, and I really do hope that he does stick by James Blake because I, I think he can learn a thing or two that could propel him up the rankings.
1: Yeah, that's probably true. You know what he'll learn from James Blake? Loyalty. James Blake had the same coach all through his career just about, from the time he was a kid, in fact. People used to knock James Blake for not having a better, quote-unquote, tour coach, and he just kept the same guy. I can't remember his name, but he, he, that's the first thing he'll learn. You know, James Blake is also a very perseverant guy. He perseveres. He stays out on the court. He keeps his nose in the game, and that's something that Jack Sock doesn't do, and that's why Jack Sock's outside of the top 100 or wherever he's at and why he hasn't made a bigger splash. The other thing he'll probably teach him is how to play doubles a little bit, how to go out there on that practice court and use that doubles to make your singles better. That's what James did, and I think Jack Sock can learn from that too. I think this is an interesting pairing. I don't think it's going to last because I don't think James Blake wants to do that. I don't think he's going to want to follow around a guy who's in the top, who's just kind of breaking through the top 100. I think he's going to want to be with somebody else if he decides to coach. Maybe he's just testing it out to see if he even likes it. You never know. This one here is intriguing to me too. Justin Gimelstob and John Isner. John Isner, 19th. He's the highest-ranked American at number 19. I can't even believe I just said that. I can't believe that came out of my mouth, that the highest-ranked American male is 19th in the world. That's unbelievable to me. I have a theory about that, by the way, now, but I'll, I'll talk about that some other time. Go ahead. Yeah, very <laughs> intriguing mismatch,
0: if you will, because I don't think Gimelstub even got into the top 50 in singles. Um, then you've got John Isner, who he's a top 20 player, isn't he? He's he's not, you know, he's flirted with the top 10, but he, he's, he's not in that elite um, little group of players up there. What can he teach John? I, I, to be honest, I, I'm not too sure. I mean, what John has at his age, and he's one of those players. I think he's 28, 29. You know, around the 30 mark. What he's got's what he's got. I don't think John Isner's going to revolutionise tennis overnight. He's he's got the big serve. He's got the big forehand. He likes that combination where he hits the serve and forehand. He can come into the net play play a little bit volleys. Um, but is John Isner going to get a lot better at his age? It's difficult to see that. So hiring Gemo stops. It's very interesting because I don't see what he can bring up John's game. That's gonna gonna change it. I mean, he's not gonna revolutionize it. He's not gonna add anything to the game. It's almost like he he's hired him on just uh, as, as a talking gesture, a sort of guy to have on the road with him. But uh, you know, maybe I'm overlooking it. Maybe you see
1: something I don't. No, I think it's about right. I don't think John Isner is going to go too much further in his career. I don't think he needs to. He never was expected to in the first place. But if he wants to pal around with somebody, Justin Gimelstob is perfect for a lot of reasons. Justin Gimelstob is on the Tennis Channel. So John Isner is going to get on the Tennis Channel. And John is- or I'm sorry, Justin Gimelstob is a cool guy to hang out with. And he was a fighter. He was a good doubles player. He knows how to play. He knew how to play singles, too. He just wasn't very good at it. He was good at it in college, though. He knows his stuff. I think this is you're going to be surprised. I don't think not by what John Isner does. That's not going to surprise anybody. But what Gimelstab is able to bring, it's not about how you make the player better. It's how you demonstrate sometimes how much you know. And he's going to be able to do that. You're not going to see John Isner get in the top 10 again. Forget about that. That's finished, okay? That's finished. He he's got to be able to break somebody. He he can't. He's not as good as Pete Sampras was, and take you to tiebreakers and win them. Wasn't as good as Sampras. His second serve isn't even close to as good as that. If he had that, then he would be all right, because he he gets he'll get you into the tiebreaker. But that's where you get him. See, and that's a bummer for him. It made you laugh, didn't it? Ah, you didn't think I would say that, (laughs) but it was true. But it's true. His second serve is not even close to what Sampras's was. And so you can't play like Sampras and not have a second serve like Sampras. You want to go into tiebreakers, you better have a dandy second serve. Because if you don't, you better be able to break serve. I don't think John isn't a break serve often enough. Maybe Gimbel will help him do that. But this ought to be interesting. Now, the one that I think is probably crazy, maybe it's crazy. I don't know if it's crazy. Lindsay Davenport with Madison Keys, (laughs) a mother of four who's not even going to be at the matches unless they're nearby. Maybe when she's in Stanford and Madison Keys, someone who probably won't get too far. What's that all about?
0: Oh, to be honest, it's another one where you're sitting there, you're scratching your head and you're thinking, really? You know, you've got this. Um, mother of four, as you said, a, a extraordinarily busy woman who is uh, committed to uh, a TV schedule as well. I believe uh, hooking up with this nineteen-year-old uh, kid. Um, let's be honest; you know she might not get very far, but she's uh, inside the top thirty at the minute, Madison Key. So she's, you know, run of the mill, I guess, for a for a female tennis player. But she's only nineteen, so. I guess we can say that she's a prospect still, um, but to hire a coach that's not going to be there full time—it I, I, seems just like bizarre for a nineteen-year-old to do. You, you surely at that age, you're still learning the game. You're still uh, developing. You're perfecting your craft. You know, you're adding skills to the uh, repertoire of shots that you've got available, etc. You're, you're learning tactically how to play the game better. And then you hire someone who really can't do that for you on a regular basis is almost bizarre. It's you know obviously Madison sat down with Lindsay and they've, they've chatted it through and she thinks that Lindsay can give her something. But uh, you know f- from my perspective, someone who's what's effectively a rookie, um, someone who's not reached the second week at a Grand Slam, who, who's looking to do that this season for the first time. I think you've got to be getting someone in who can be with you all the time, who can uh, be out in the practice court, can uh, be arranging your life, encouraging you, getting the best out of you. And I, I don't think that's going to happen in a relationship with Lindsay Davenport, who's just not going to be there on the tour enough to impart her knowledge on Madison. And I, I think the, the strains in that relationship will probably tell by the end of the season And If Madison's looking to improve, I think she'll be very much looking to hire a new coach come next season, someone full-time, because it's more what she needs. And uh, the advice of someone even as knowledgeable and experienced as Lindsay, uh, she she needs a full-time coaching.
1: Yep, I think so. You know what? It's intriguing, though. Lindsay Davenport, you know, at this level, what they really need is a babysitter, and Lizzie has enough babies to babysit. You know, she has to have a nanny to help her, for goodness sakes. And to chase around Madison Keyes, a, a precocious 19-year-old, no thank you. That's not going to work. It might work. Maybe Madison Keys realizes that this is as far as she's going to go. And now she'll have someone to blame it on. She can say, look, I did everything I could. I hired her. It's possible. I know people who've done stuff like that. Um it is very possible, but it is what it is. It's is an interesting combination now. I don't see Madison Keys going anywhere no matter who her coach is, to be honest with you, but that's just me. All right, I've seen enough of her, to be honest. Now the last one, and this is the one I wanted to wait for. I think this is the one that makes the most sense of them all. Martina Navratilova is now one of the coaches for Aggie Radwanska. Now, I think this is a great thing. Go ahead. What do you think about this, Craig?
0: Yes. yeah. Actually, I'm going to agree on this one because Novacilova is everything Radwanska hasn't been thus far in her career. I'm not going to slam Radwanska. Uh, she's a very defensive player. Um, that's her way of dealing with things. She's got a great sort of feel on the racket. She's one of the few female players players i see utilizing drop shots etc but despite her storming up the rankings into the top five she hasn't been able to do it in the grand slam final she's she's had opportunities she's just there's been grand slam semi-finals and she's just not made it past the post yet And when i look at radwanska i can see a lot of her like a female andy murray in there there's it's very, very defensive, the way she plays. And it's, it's difficult to win things if you're going to be defensive because you invite the other player to attack you. And if the other player's in the final playing an attacking brand of tennis, generally they've got there because they're playing very well. So what Radwanska's done is she's hired someone who basically plays attacking tennis. Um, someone who played a serving volley. Um, a really, really aggressive all-court game. And my guess is she's going to use Nivacilova to bring some of that into her own game. Whether it has the same sort of success that Lendo brought to Murray, I'm, I'm not sure. We're going to have to wait and see. Uh, we won't have long to wait until we opens around the corner. But it'll be interesting to see what Radvanska adds to her game that she's not had before. Is she going to be hitting big balls? Is she going to be looking for um, the big forehand winners? Maybe, maybe not. Um, Obviously, uh, time's going to tell on that one. But I I think we're going to see a a different Radwanska this year. We're going to see different tactically, different shots. Um, And I I think, actually, it is going to reap success. And I think she will come out of this year with that maiden Grand Slam that she's been looking for. And she'll feel that the coaching relationship has been a uh, success for her.
1: Those are all interesting thoughts. I think what she's going to bring this young lady is the inner game of tennis the game between the ears you know Martina Navratilova has a lot of experience she's a great tennis player she still is she won a doubles tournament with Jana Novotna and she had breast cancer for goodness sakes I mean this is how this is the type of person she is she had struggles though man both on and off the court she knows how to handle those things she's experienced so much in her life that's going to translate down to young Aggie's life. That's where Aggie mess, misses the bite, misses the beat, so to speak, the inner game of tennis. She doesn't think. She lets things get to her and rattle her. And to be honest, she has no reason to let that happen. There is nothing difficult in her life, to be honest with you. Martina's going to tell her that too. And Martina Navratilova Craig is going to be the one person who can tell her that. Look what I went through. You've gone through none of this stuff. And look what I became, and you're probably better than I am. I was a chubby, left-handed, servant vollier who could barely see. And then they put glasses on me, and I lost some weight. But more importantly, I I lost that weight between my ears, the one that told me I couldn't do it, and then I did it. And that's what she's going to bring, Craig. It's going to be fantastic. You know, the women this week are in Brisbane, and they are also in shenzhen china and they are also in auckland new zealand the guys are in brisbane for the hopman cup and they're also in uh, Chennai as well as doha so it's an interesting week and maybe next week we'll talk a little bit about those tournaments he's craig doyle i'm phil nasons you've just listened to this week in tennis